Well, dear congregation, oh, I'd like to now direct your prayerful attention to those words that I read to you in your hearing there in the book of Genesis and the third chapter. Indeed, this is such an important chapter of the Word of God. We have an account here in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 of creation and how God made man. We have an account of the fall. We have an account of why things are like they are in this world today, why we are like what we are. Now, last Lord's Day evening, I announced that we'll be looking at a series of questions. There are many questions in the Bible. We want to look at questions asked in the Bible during these gospel sermons. And uh, questions, we must say, first of all, are very helpful. We find little children, when they're growing up, they ask mom and dad lots of questions, don't they? Why this? Why that? They're asking it because they're learning. They want to know. Questions are very helpful. We have children's catechisms, don't we? And uh, we learn, don't we, from the catechism. We have the Westminster Catechism. We have the baptismal uh, or the Baptist confession. And there are questions not only from the Westminster Catechism, Spurgeon had his own. There are various catechism questions that we can ask, that we can instruct our children, that we also as adults can learn from. And we we learn by asking questions, don't we? And the Bible is full of questions. Now it's interesting to note that the very first question asked in the Word of God is not a question asked by man. Neither is it a question asked by God but it's a question asked by Satan himself. And the question is not there to find out the truth, but rather to bring doubt. It's a a loaded question. And the whole reason and the purpose of the question of Satan is to raise doubt in the mind of Eve about God. And what about God had said? You notice in the verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now we know from the New Testament in First John that this serpent is Satan. And we are even told that here. God pronounces judgment upon Satan himself, who disguised himself and who indeed beguiled Eve. And again, the question is not asked to find out the truth about God, but rather to bring doubt and to put temptation before Eve. Eve, who had very clearly received knowledge about the truth, and understanding about God's requirements. We, we have read in this passage how Adam and Eve, they heard God, and they communed with God, and they talked with God. They saw the wonderful creation. They never had a reason ever, whatsoever, ever to doubt God. No, there should never have been a question. But Satan uses this question here. Has God said? 
ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Of course, God did say, as she says here, you may eat of every tree except of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We want to think about that here tonight. There was nothing evil in that tree. It was a tree that was forbidden. Forbidden that Adam should take from it. Because he would then know evil. To disobey God, you see, is evil. To sin against God, that is evil. There was nothing evil in the garden apart from Satan. We need to understand that. None of these trees in and of themselves, were evil. But what was evil was to disobey God. That is sin. What is sin? It is transgression of God's law. Now, God made Adam and Eve with the ability of free choice, minds capable of being able to evaluate things, to consider what was right and wrong. They had rational, reasoning faculties. They knew right from wrong. They were completely free moral agents, just as you and I are. We are moral beings. We can facilitate in our minds. We can work out. We know right from wrong. Why? Because God has stamped his hallmark upon us. We are made in the image of God. That is his hallmark. He has stamped his laws upon our hearts. We know by nature certain things are wrong. Paul tells us this, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 1. We know that woman with woman is unnatural and it's sinful. We know it's against nature. We know many things are wrong. We know murder is wrong. It's a natural thing. We know lying is wrong. That's why we're embarrassed when we lie, when we cheat, when we do wrong things. We are moral agents made in the image of God, knowing right from wrong. And to take of that tree would have been evil. There was nothing inherently evil of that tree in itself. But to simply disobey God was wrong. Again, let me emphasize, there was nothing evil in that garden except the evil one who himself had disobeyed God in heaven and was cast down and wanting to spread evil all over the perfect world that he had made in that perfect paradise. That was his intent. He is called the destroyer. He is also called the deceiver. And look in chapter 1 how God made man. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. And Paul tells us in the New Testament what that means. In uprightness and holiness. He, he doesn't make us a trinity. That's not what it means. We are bipartite. We have body and soul. We don't believe in a tripartite nature. We have body and soul. He made man upright. 
Indeed, this is what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29. Lo, this only, Solomon says, have I found that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Man is full of trouble because he's a sinner. And he's made many inventions of God and many inventions of himself. He's imagined himself to be as a God and high and mighty. Well, they have the very hallmark of God stamped upon the very fiber of their beings. God had given them a home in paradise here, a tremendous place. They were able to eat of everything in the paradise of Eden. Given even, and I believe it, it's true, and I can, we want to think about it here. They could eat, we read, of every tree in the garden, and there was another tree, it was the tree of life. And therefore they had access to that tree, and they were able to take from the tree of life. Now there are many, and there's a popular teaching today, both in dispensational and covenantal circles, that Adam was on probation. That is not personally my view. And that if he uh, fulfilled that probation for a certain period of time, he could have eternal life. In my understanding, he had life. And he had life so long as he could continue on and not sin. And he had access to the tree of life. Because as we read here, he could eat from every tree except from the one tree. What was that tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And to take from that tree would have been sin. That's the evil, that's the inerrant evil of itself. God had forbidden it. However, we know what happened. He disobeyed God's command. And death ensued, didn't it? He received death. So God was not the liar. He chose morally to do this of his own volition. There should have been no reason for him to ever choose that. But you see, God has made us all as free moral agents. He didn't make you a robot. He didn't make me a robot. He made us all capable of making a choice, a decision. We do not deny that at all. He was made able to sin and able not to sin. Now that's not wrong. God in making a man able to sin, posse picare and non posse picare, was not wrong. That is perfectly right and just. Because you see, we made, in the image of God, made to make a choice. But man chose, for some strange reason, to do what was wrong. And of course, God knew all of this would take place, but this does not make God evil in any way. Anyway, was Adam on probation? No, I don't believe that, but I believe it's quite clear by the passage here that God had given him everything, and especially a warning. Adam, in the day that thou takest, thou shalt surely die. And he took and death ensued, and it was a terrible thing. Various things took place in the garden here, and we want to see, and we're not going to look specifically at this question of the devil, but I want to look at the verse 9. There's a question asked of the Lord. Adam, where art thou? 
Adam had a knowledge of God. And it was only ever good. It was only ever right. Everything God had done for him was good and perfect. The wife he looked at was a perfect wife. Up until that time when Adam disobeyed and she disobeyed. Everything was beautiful. Well, as we look at these verses here, and as we think of this, there is going to be, and we know in the book of Revelation, we'll come and think on this later, the Bible begins with the tree of life. And after they sinned, we read at the close of this chapter that the two cherubims guarded the garden on the east side so that they could not have access to the tree of life. And by the way, the last book of the Bible ends with a tree, doesn't it? The tree of life. And they have access to it. Who have the son, the second Adam. Now in the same way, the Lord Jesus, when he came into the world, he was not on probation. Just as I believe Adam was not on probation. Adam fell. And by Adam, sin has spread to all men. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he was not on a test, he was not on a trial. But the reason he came, he came really for two reasons. He came to magnify the law, this is what the scriptures teach us, and to make it honorable. And he did it with great delight. He could say, thy law is within my heart. But he also came into this world as the last Adam to earn a righteousness for his people. A righteousness that Adam had forsaken. And all of his progeny, all that come from Adam, a perfect spotless righteousness under God's moral commandments. Under those ten commandments. This very one deals with Adam. God walked in the garden and talked with Adam and Eve. And as we said here, Adam sinned. If Adam were to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would know evil by disobedience. That's what he would know. He would know evil by disobedience. And he would know evil by the experience of death. And he was warned, Adam, in the day that thou sin, thou should surely die. And he began to experience evil in his heart because of his sin. A sinful heart, sinful actions. And as we see here, one lie leads to another. He begins to blame his wife. His wife begins to blame him. She blames the devil. And as we will see, Ultimately, they're both blaming God even for this. It was the devil. Even the devil, it was, he says, it was the woman that thou gavest me. God, it's your fault. Not only her fault, but it's your fault. You made the woman. Her fault. And she says, it was the devil. Ultimately, she's saying, it's the devil you created. But she knew well, this was wrong. 
and sinful. And we want to ask the question as we come to the verse 9, Adam, where art thou? We don't want to get there just yet. A number of things to think of here. Adam had disobeyed the Lord, and it's a serious thing. That's what sin is. I received, I just want to say this by way of introduction, a very strange email this week, and I'll keep the name anonymous. I don't think it's anybody here, but it's from overseas. Listening to some of the ministry online, and a comment was left last week. We get a lot of comments, by the way, a lot of emails coming in and correspondence. And I think this person is clearly an unbeliever. Let me read this to you. person commenting said, Instead of healing Adam after the first sin, he transmitted sin to all men. Better yet, he, being God, could have made all men holy and incorruptible. There would have never been a single sin. Now we live in a world of murder, rape, and mayhem. Thanks, God. That's the message I received. Now let me just comment a little. And sometimes it's very helpful to analyze the way people think. I find it very helpful in the open-air ministry because sometimes I get to hear what people are thinking in their souls about God and what they think about sin. Now let's just take these words and these comments and break them down. Instead of healing Adam after his first sin, he transmitted sin to all men. The comment I want to make, first of all, is you cannot heal sin. Okay? What do I mean by that? Sin is an offense to God, isn't it? Sin can't be healed. One thing we don't understand, if we don't understand this, is sin demands God's justice. It can't be healed. If you have done damage, the damage is there. Let me ask you, if you have committed murder, what are you? You're a murderer. If you've lied once, you can't heal it. The deed is done. And... The Bible tells us, dear friends, the wages of sin is what? Death. You cannot heal sin. And God warned Adam that the day that he sinned, he would die. You can't fix sin, can you? The evil that Adam is now began to experience was because he took what God had forbidden him to take. There was nothing inherently evil in that tree, no evil in that garden. The evil was to disobey God. And so I answer, my dear friend, in the politest manner, you cannot heal sin. And then he says, better yet he should have made all men holy and incorruptible. Well, I answer from the Bible, can that which is clean come out of that which is unclean? Adam was from this moment a sinner, defiled. And he cannot, indeed, make pure people out of holy, uh, unholy people. The Bible simply tells us 
sin has spread to all men. We've all sinned. And the man says, now we live in a world of murder, rape, and mayhem. Thanks God, but yes, men choose that sin, don't they? Every day. Every day of their lives. God can't heal sin. Let me tell you, he's a God of justice and he must punish sin. Just as he had to banish Satan. Cast him out. God is a God of justice. And the same for your sin and my sin. And the only remedy for sin is the sinner's friend, Jesus Christ. Well, the first question is asked, as I said, by Satan. And it's a dishonest question. And sometimes we need to be very careful about our own questions. We can ask questions, but sometimes they can be loaded with venom. As Satan's question, Satan's question is loaded with venom, loaded with hatred for God. Sometimes we can ask the wrong questions, but look at the question. The woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. The fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Then you notice she answers quite honestly and sincerely. And she's even said, we may not even touch the fruit, let alone eat it. And God has already warned them, don't even go near it. Because of the temptation. You see how gracious God is? He's not just saying, don't don't just eat it, but don't even go near it. Don't even touch it. See, sin is very subtle, isn't it? As Satan is. The deceitfulness of sin. You touch something, you get nearer, you think, well, it's okay. And then Satan, he plants a thought immediately in the mind of the woman. And she had a choice to dismiss What he says, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. And then he plants this thought, for God does know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. You shall be as God's knowing good and evil. And we know it was precisely the opposite. They didn't become gods, but they became most vile creatures who loathed themselves and who couldn't stand the sight of themselves, that they were ashamed and embarrassed of themselves. So God was right. Wasn't he? Now, with knowledge comes responsibility, doesn't it? She's thinking, I could be as God, knowing good and evil. I often think of, a, of an illustration. I don't know if it'll be helpful. Let me bring this on a human level. You look at a, a doctor and you think, my I'd love to be a doctor. I love his life. I look at his house. I look at his car. I look at his holidays. You think, well, this is, this is the life for me. I could do that. <laughs> My dear friends, do you realize the hours they have to work? Do you realize the years of study? Do you realize the insurance that man's got to pay? Do you realize that every time he goes into the, if he is a surgeon, he he takes on such an awesome responsibility? You see, with 
indeed responsibility. Power comes awesome responsibility. Knowing good and evil. Did you know that the book of Job is a book with more questions than any other book in the Bible? And they're questions that God poses to Job. And, and at one time, the Lord says to Job in Job thirty-eight thirty, The waters are hid as with a stone, he says, and the face of the deep is frozen. And God says to him, Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pallades? Or loose the bands of Orion. Do you hear what God is saying? God is saying, I control the planets. And you, Job, you're telling me what's right and what's wrong, Job. Job, don't you understand you deserve nothing in this life? Everything that I've given you is from my good hand. Even the children that you have are a gift from me. Job has to, at the end of it all, cover his hand, his mouth with his hand. and says that he is afraid to speak before God and to question God anymore. God says, I control the countless constellations. I keep the planets. I keep the sweet influences of Pallades. And I, I can loose the bands of Orion. Who are you, a man, to speak to me? Oh yes, but when we look at our hearts and we look at our lives and we look at the fall here and we see what has happened, we begin to understand something. And we begin to study the Scriptures here as we look at this passage and as we look at the fall. God can't heal sin. It's spread to you and it's spread to me. This man, I I think his questions really helped me to bring a serious problem that often people think in this world. God can't heal sin. He has to punish it. And that's why we have the promise of Genesis 3.15. And God has to come and he has to seek Adam. Adam who is running away and this is how we come into this world. He's running and he's hiding and he's ashamed of his sin. And we find him making excuses. Ultimately, Adam has even blamed God. It's the woman that thou gave me. She is the problem. And you look at Adam. He's your typical modern man today. The passive male who takes no responsibility for the family life. And he will not stand. And you have the typical modern woman. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not putting down you, but I'm putting down the culture of the age. It's no different. We have here Adam excusing his sin, saying it's the woman. Yeah, but Adam, you didn't step up to the plate. Adam, you didn't take your responsibility as a man. The woman, she steps in, she takes, and we're even told here that Adam was with Eve. We're told that here in this passage. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. He was with her. He stood with her. And, you know, 
we can look back in our lives and we can so easily blame other people for all of our faults. But we were there. And God comes to Adam and he says, Adam, where are you? Of course, God knows the answer to this question. He's found him. He's speaking to him. But it's a deeper question meant to probe the heart of Adam. Adam, where are you now? Where are you in your, in terms of, first of all, your relationship with me? That's, you can bring that to your level, to my level, because we're all from Adam, aren't we? Maybe, basically, you know, the name Adam simply means man. That's what it means. And I can put that question to you now. Sin is spread to all, to you, to me. Where art thou, Adam? Where are you, man, tonight? Do you take responsibility for your sins? We have all sinned. The scriptures say the wages of sin is death. That's why you're aging, why I'm aging, why we're dying. It's not just a question. Really, we could put to Adam, or it was put to Adam, but it's a question put to us. Where art thou, Adam? Adam indirectly blamed God. As a young man, I think I blamed a lot of other people in the world for a lot of my mistakes. Things I'd done wrong in life. We don't take honesty. In these things, do we? By nature, we're dishonest with ourselves and with other people. She indirectly blamed Satan and God. We are moral beings, each and every one of us. You know right from wrong. Search your heart. This is what really the Lord is saying, where art thou? Where are you? Where is your soul? Remember what Solomon said. Behold, I've seen that God has made man upright, but he has made many inventions. We've made many inventions about ourselves. We've imagined ourselves to be better than we really are. That's really what Adam was doing. That's what Eve was doing. Adam, where art thou? Let me put it in the first place. Firstly, where was Adam's soul now with God? That's a question I put to you tonight. Where is your soul in terms of relationship with God? Again, God, to answer that man's question, you can't heal sin. Sin has to be punished. Transgression of the law demands God's justice, the wages of sin, is death. And the only hope, as was pronounced here to Adam, would be the seed of the woman. That in the eventuality of time, God would send forth his son. And the only way in which sinners could be reconciled to a holy God is through the very one who appeared to Adam and Eve and made them skin garments here in the garden. 
who slaughtered one of his animals to cover their shame and their nakedness. Eventually, the Lord Jesus would have to shed his blood for his people's sins. Paul says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all that all have sinned. You've sinned, I've sinned. Why? Because we all come from the same, and you and I can't blame God for that. We sin voluntarily, willfully, and yet we make excuses for our sin. And God's word comes to you, it comes to me tonight. Where art thou? Are you right with me? Are you reconciled? Or you're running away like Adam? We can't hide from God. But God comes searching for him. One day we will all stand before God. When the Lord comes to his people. He comes to all his sheep and he says where art thou and he comes to seek and to save that which is lost look at Adam he's lost and what Christ does with his word is he, he preaches to them that are far off we're told in Ephesians 2 verse 17 he came preaching and he comes preaching to us and he brings the word and he says sinner where art thou are you making excuses your sins. Adam before, remember, had a perfect relationship with God. Do you have a perfect relationship with God? I tell you, your relationship with God can never be right apart from Jesus Christ. Can never be right because there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom for many. Yes. Secondly, I would ask, where art thou in terms of repentance toward God? You see, because you can't be reconciled to God without repentance. You can't just heal sin and say, let's just put the sin aside there, let's shove it under the carpet, let's not talk about my life for you. No, God knows everything about your life. You don't need to come to me. I'm not a priest. and You don't come to an earthly priest to be right with God. But you go to the one high priest. You go to God through the work of his son, the Lord Jesus. And you confess your sins to him. All of them. Have you laid hold on Christ? If you turn to Hebrews 6, verse 13, we read how God made a promise to Father Abraham. And he swore by himself. Hebrews 6, 13, for when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, Blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. Now, Abraham hadn't really done anything, had he? Not really, to merit God's blessing. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, 
and an oath for confirmation is to them that uh, an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of his promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled to refuge to lay hold upon the hope sent before us. You see, the sinner lays hold on Christ and runs to him for refuge. That's the only hope. In repenting, we lay hold on God's promise. What is that hope? Verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is entered, even Jesus, made an high priest. You see, we know what the Old Testament teach. Adam and Eve here would teach their two sons, Cain and Abel, about worship in the acceptable and appropriate way to approach God, and that was through the sacrifice, all pointing to the Savior. And in the temple we know there was the veil, and the priest couldn't go behind the veil without the shed blood of a lamb. And the Lord Jesus is that lamb. And we lay hold on the lamb. And Adam's only hope was to lay hold on the one who God would promise to send in the verse 15, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. Have you laid hold on him? Adam, where art thou? We all come from Adam, don't we? Can you see yourself in Adam? I can see myself in Adam. I sinned in Adam. That's what the Bible tells me. I come from him. And I'm just like him. Born in this world a sinner. Running from God. And then one day, God lays hold on me. And says, where art thou? And God tells me in his word to lay hold on one that is mighty. Mighty to save. We don't make excuse for sin. We don't blame God. We blame ourselves. I came into this world blaming everybody else and even God but myself. God deliver me from myself, from Satan and this world. God delivered me to his son, Jesus Christ. And God will take me up to glory soon because of his love toward me in Jesus Christ. That's love, isn't it? Where art thou tonight? Have you repented, friend? The Lord Jesus said, except you repent, you shall perish. It's important to ask that question. Don't believe the lies of Satan. Satan begins his question. Sometimes he puts questions in the minds of people. And those questions will be in the world. And remember this, 
that Satan is styled as the god of this world. The prince of the power of the air that now works in the sons of disobedience. You get all your truth, my friend, from the Bible. Because God's word is truth. God cannot lie. He's promised to give eternal life to all who repent and believe upon his Son. Whatever our sins are, if we are Christ's, we lay hold on him by faith, the faith that God gives, we will have access to the tree of life. As I said, the first book of the Bible begins with a tree, tree of life. God said to Adam and Eve, you think about it, why did God banish them? He drove out man, verse 24, and placed him at the east of the garden of Eden, cherubims, and a flaming sword, and turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Think of it. If they had have had access to the tree of life, oh, hope. would live. What a world it would be. We can't even imagine. We don't even know what it would be like. Certainly the Savior wouldn't have come. Lying constantly. Let me say this, there will be those that will enter a place where they will remain liars and haters of God forever in a lost eternity. But they that lay hold on the promises of God in Jesus Christ shall have eternal life. He said, did he not say, he that believeth on the Son hath life. Have you life, friends? You've got life. If you've begun to repent, and if you've begun to lay hold on Christ and all of his promises, and we've come clean with God, and we're walking with him, and now talking with him, in our prayers, communing with him in our heart, just as Adam and Eve, and enjoying fellowship. See how God came to him. And God begins to give us a new life now as Christians and restores us back to him. God is the Savior, not man. And God saves us to our fellowship communion with him now and on into all eternity. Amen.